Welcome to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Winderall. This podcast is designed to bring real and raw conversations about spirituality into the forefront of living our yoga off the mat and in our businesses. Topics covered include insights into the yoga industry, teaching, wellness, Ayurveda, meditation, and entrepreneurship. Basically, all the topics we're interested in. Thanks for joining me. Now tune in and turn it up. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Winderell. Today is all about the art of simple living and this discussion or conversation about how do we simplify our lives and how do we find more peace and just more space in our life. And one of the things that we can look to for guidance on this actually comes directly from yoga philosophy. And this teaching is uh, called Aparigraha. And this is the idea of non-grasping, non-hoarding, non-attachment. So we hear this word like thrown, thrown around a lot in the yoga and spiritual communities, non-attachment, non-attachment, non-attachment. And there's really a reason, a big reason for it. And it's because this idea is really the foundation to finding happiness in your life. And when we can understand and try as best as we can to practice a parigraha, we find that instead of living in the space of lack or FOMO, fear of missing out, we actually now can live in the space that feels really abundant and really gracious and really just calm and gentle and sweet. And I really think that's exactly what many of us are looking for in our life. We want to remove some of the chaos, uh, the constant pressurized environment that we're living in, and instead live in a space that feels just a bit more generous and gentle and calming to the nervous system. So I'm really excited to share this topic. This is something I spend quite a bit of time thinking about, reflecting on, and trying to practice in my own life. And my husband and I talk about this often, probably at least twice a week. How can we live with less? How can we take less than we need? And you know, you can of course take this to an extreme and you can take this in a bunch of different directions. Like, are we speaking environmentally? Are we speaking monetarily? Are we speaking energetically? And truly, the practice and teaching of a parigraha would work in any area of our life where we'd like to find a bit more space and ease. And I think this topic is so important for all of us to revisit for ourselves, to consider in our own lives, and become very, very conscious and aware of our consumerism and how we're being influenced by the messages that, frankly, we're being bombarded with all day, every day. And if we can take a pause, take a moment and be like, hey, whoa, what's going on here? Why do I feel this huge lack in my life? And the message that we are told from marketing and from consumerism and all the ads that we see, and some it seems like somebody, everybody is always trying to sell us something. And the takeaway is that we cannot be happy until XYZ, until 
we get a new purse, until we have a bigger car, until we have a nicer house, until we meet the partner of our dreams, until we have children, until whatever it is that we think we need in order to be happy. And now, of course, we could take a very simplistic, you know, approach to this. And, you know, we do need to have certain things in our life, you know, our our basic human needs need to be met in order for us to be in a position to be picking and choosing where we're being conscious and aware of our consumerism. But um, I think for many of us, we do have quite a bit of room in our life to trim back, to edit the choices and decisions that we make. And this can feel really uncomfortable. It can start to bring up some reflections for ourselves about our habits and our patterns and our behaviors, some of which might even be so deeply ingrained that they're now not even noticeable. Like what I mean by that is we do it so often. We have this pattern both in our mind, our brain, like how we view what we think we need to be happy, but also in literally just like day-to-day choices. Oh, okay, I'm just going to stop at my favorite coffee shop on the corner and, and get a bola and a coffee. And all of a sudden, that type of pattern and behavior becomes so ingrained into our daily activity that all of a sudden, we're not even questioning it anymore. We're just like, well, yeah, of course, I'm going to get my daily treat and coffee, and then that's just what I do, without stopping to be like, okay, is that something that's truly necessary for me to feel happy on that day? And this is just a small example, but I think we can extrapolate from that and see like, okay, where are the bigger areas in our life where perhaps we have some blind spots? And I absolutely fall into the category of getting caught in the consumerism trap and thinking like, oh, okay, yeah, I want, I really want a new sweater. Oh yeah, maybe if I get a new yoga mat. Or, and I have to catch myself and be like, hmm, is that truly something I need? Will that bring me fulfillment? Will my life be richer and fuller if I buy that thing? And so we are kind of going to focus more on like, the purchase of goods, like consumerism, uh, because I think that is where many of us get caught in the trap of thinking we need more. We need something better. We need something fancier. And the reality is that we cannot make ourselves happy with external things. And when we think that we're going to be able to meet this deep-seated emotional need that we have to feel balanced and safe and happy and content in our life with something from an external source, really that's just a form of distraction. Oh, okay, when I buy that thing, when I get that whatever, then then things in my life are going to get smoother and calmer, and then I'll have more time, and then I'll be more content with everything else in my life. And this is just a huge fallacy. This is a mistake. It's an error. This isn't really how it works. And human psychology is so powerful, and the messages that we tell ourselves are so powerful that it can be very difficult to interrupt that messaging that we've conditioned ourselves to become used to. Everything from that small cup of coffee at the corner store to a big purchase like a home or a car. What kind of a car? How big of a car? How nice of a car? And also, we can probably, for many of us, identify that a lot of our motivation for the things we buy actually doesn't really have to do with a personal sense of satisfaction. It actually has to do with this sort of external 
identification to others that we have a certain amount of money or that we have a certain status or that we have just something that that makes us seem like we belong more. And I just find this fascinating that oftentimes people will go so far into debt or they're buying things on credit or they are overextending their budget and their ability to truly pay for things in order to impress people who don't matter in their life. And I just, it's such a strong psychological need that many of us have to some degree. And I think it does stem from this idea that we want to feel like we belong. And if we signify to other people through our clothing choices, the neighborhood we live in, the the school we go to, kind of, quote unquote, what kind of a person we are, what activities we do. I mean, even within the yoga world, we see a ton of this. What studio do you practice at? What yoga clothes are you, what brand are you wearing? Which retreat are you going on? Like, it's in every area of our life. And when we get caught in that trap, it just, we don't even see it sometimes. And so this is really what this teaching is about is, first of all, how do we observe our patterns and our behaviors? And then second of all, how do we take action to break those behaviors? And if we're constantly trying to impress other people or be spend our life and our money working for something that's coming from the outside, it will be impossible to ever feel that internal sense of contentment. And so Aparigraha is all about that. How do we release our attachment to wanting more? And when we start to slowly practice Aparigraha, non-attachment, non-hoarding, this crazy, wonderful, magical thing happens. All of a sudden, that inner peace that we so desperately crave and want becomes more accessible. When we let go of the constant running thoughts on a loop of like, okay, I need to get that new thing. I need to buy that new thing. Okay, I've got to put that in my cart online. Okay, how can I, how can I work harder to get that promotion, to make more money, to buy the bigger house, to go on the fancier vacations? Like, it's a never-ending cycle. And so when we are able to very intentionally look at that cycle for ourselves and our own thought patterns and stop that loop in its tracks, all of a sudden we can look around in our life and be like, my God, how much abundance do I already have? And that immediately shifts our mindset and it immediately shifts our energy. And all of a sudden, instead of being in the space of lack or fear of missing out, it can be a celebration of like, wow, I actually already have so much beauty and blessings in my life. And that's so empowering to get to sit with your life today as it is now and be able to find some gratitude within whatever your experience is. And that's the goal. That's the whole goal of yoga. That's the whole goal, I think, of the human existence is to be happy with what you have. And to be grateful for what you have. And we can take this from the small example of the coffee at the corner shop, or we can take it all the way to big examples. Like when I'm teaching about this as part of the eight limbs from the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali in the Atman Yoga School teacher trainings, I always like to give the example because in most of my trainings, we do have a lot more women than men. 
and of, of course, men can have gratitude and contentment and practice a parigraha, but for women in particular, I think it is so potent to stop and consider that at least here in the West, Western world, as women, we have education. We have choice over when or if we have children. We have free time. We have extra money, you know, depending on how much extra money, of course, you have, but um, we're not working in sweatshops. And perhaps most importantly, in addition to getting an education, we were not child brides, which is still a huge practice in a lot of the world. And so as women in particular, to take a step back and be like, my God, I'm already in this extremely privileged position of choice. And I think that for me flips my internal script pretty quickly because I'm like, oh yeah, okay. I'm choosing everything in my life. I chose my partner. I choose where I live. I choose my job. I chose where I went to college. I chose my career, like all of this. And that's really, really empowering. And so when we feel stuck in our life, when we feel like, oh, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. Oh, I just, I'm so tired all the time. The negativity of that constant thought pattern becomes very heavy. And it is hard for us to, to see the possibility of choice in our life. But we can practice choice every single day. So maybe we don't have the ability to choose the college or change our career or change our partner, maybe, maybe not. Um, but we can change how we live our day-to-day -day life. And we can invite in more joy, more beauty, more happiness, more play. And so I think that's the takeaway from talking about a parigraha. And when, in particular, like thinking about your day-to-day -day life and the choices you make with money and the choices you make with your um, belongings, I think most of us would agree or would would definitely be fine talking about the fact that we have more crap than we need. And every one of us has a junk drawer. We have that one closet in the house or under the bed that's just like boxes of stuff where maybe we've even forgotten what's in it. Like we've just moved it from house to house or we just kind of don't really know where to put stuff. So we just kind of pile it in one box and shove it into a corner and forget about it. <laughs> Super common. But we can become more aware of how many clothes we buy. How many do we really need? I mean, this is why a capsule wardrobe is so brilliant. And it's also, you know, a very Ayurvedic practice to be more aware of how much you're buying for your clothing and your shoes. And when we think about our homes, how are we putting things in our homes, like on the walls and how much furniture do we need? How many blankets do we need? How much pillows, throw pillows on the couch? My husband always jokes with me because he's just like, Jessica, we have so many throw pillows. And I don't think we do, <laughs> but he does. And so just starting to become aware of like, do we really need all of this stuff? And the answer probably is no. So then the practice, the affirmative practice of a parigraha is saying no to more stuff. And it's also editing out the stuff that we currently own, our, our possessions and belongings, and really going through the closet and pulling things out, 
donating them, selling them, whatever we want to do, just getting them out of the house or going through the kitchen cabinets, all the old boxes of food, things that have already expired like two years ago, being more conscious with the things in our home also allows us to be more conscious about the energy in our home. So when we have a lot of clutter and we have a lot of stuff laying around, it feels chaotic and heavy to the nervous system. And this is pretty subconscious, but actually there's a very real effect on how we respond to our environment around us. And I have a whole chapter on this actually in my Ayurveda book that's coming out in May, pre-sales in April. And how do we enhance the energy of our home? How do we make it feel tranquil and a place where we like to relax and we feel safe and having things that are very beautiful and pleasing to look at in our home is a celebration of the spirit according to Ayurveda. And so that's very important, having fresh flowers, having plants around, but also we got to make sure we're not overdoing it and just like going full maximalist and putting so much stuff in our home and having all kinds of, you know, patterns and big furniture and long curtains and just like all the stuff that can feel like a lot. And so actually the art of simple living is all about just that simplicity dialing back. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. So even if you have extra money to spend on things, you want to ask yourself the question, do I truly need this to be happy? Is this going to enhance my life to such a degree that I will emotionally feel more satisfied? Not just in the physical moment of using that thing or wearing that thing or driving that thing, but for the overall health and wellness of my entire life, and my perspective on life and how I view the world and my place in the world, is this thing really going to bring me that much happiness? And I mean, maybe for you, the answer is yes, you know, but for most things, I think the answer probably is no. We have so much more stuff than we really need. And so being pretty strict with yourself to edit out your life and to edit out where you're maybe wasting money, all the you know, a big one for me was uh, apps on my phone. You know, I, I would subscribe to a monthly app and then totally forget about it and never use it. And then all of a sudden, I was looking one day on my phone. I found the setting where you can see your monthly subscriptions. I was like, wow, how do I have all these subscriptions I forgot about? And to me, that was an indication in that moment when I saw all those, which I canceled immediately. But when I saw them, I was like, wow, I am really out of alignment with how I want my life to look. And yeah, this is kind of a small and silly example, but it's indicative of a bigger picture. Just spending money on useless things or things that aren't truly necessary in your life. And there's a lot of ways in which we leak money every single day, wasting money and becoming more conscious about truly how you're spending money and where you are sending the energetic exchange of money when we send money somewhere and we get something back for it, it's not just the money and the thing. It's also everything that went behind the money. So the work that we did to earn that money, the education we got, we have to get the job to earn that money. It's actually an indication of time. And so when we spend money, we're spending our time. And putting that in perspective can be really helpful for a lot of people. Like, 
okay, depending on what your hourly wage is, what you make per hour, and if you're on a salary, calculate it out. Find out how much you make an hour. And then use that as the barometrics when you're going to purchase something like, oh, wow, okay, this new sweater is worth three, four hours of my labor in order to buy it. Is that truly how I want to spend four hours of my time buying this thing? So beginning to really, instead of just being on autopilot in some of the things in your life and the choices that you make with money and consumerism and, oh yeah, I just saw a new ad for this thing. Oh cool, I think I'll buy it. Like impulse purchases. Oh my God, that's a tough one. <laughs> but there's, there's an emotion behind impulsive buying and we do get a hit of oxytocin in the brain. Like that's been documented. That's scientifically proven. When we buy something, it does momentarily make us happy. Like there is a hormonal shift in the body. And that's what becomes so addicting for so many people is then they want to keep getting feeling happy. So they just keep buying more and more and more, which is then where, you know, it also crosses over into like, if you have a shopping addiction or uh, some kind of a spending addiction, or gambling. I mean, that's, of course, huge oxytocin, um, the, the risk and reward of that. And that's very, very difficult to break those habits. But we have to start with the observation. We have to start with the awareness. And then once we kind of have, have a bit more control over that and our emotional response to buying things, then we can start to sit back a little bit and be like, okay, cool. Maybe I'm buying a little less. I'm not spending as much money. That's great. But also, how do we look around our home or our spaces and see where we can be even stricter? And I know strict is kind of an ugly word. I totally get that. But we have to have a bit of discipline. We have to have that top us to keep us accountable and to also keep us in alignment with our vision for our life. And if the vision you have for your life is one that's calm and tranquil and peaceful in your home, then you do have to have some discipline and, and get rid of things that are no longer serving a purpose in your life and are, in fact, just energetically dragging you down. And there's a whole, whole energetic science behind this. In Chinese medicine, it's feng shui. In Ayurveda, it's called vastu. And this is Ayurvedic architecture, and it has everything, and it's a science and a math, and it's completely, it goes all the way from, you know, when you buy a plot of land and you're going to build a home, what's the most auspicious corner to build your home in? Which direction does the front door face? Which uh, area of the home should your office be in if you're working? Which area of the home should your bedroom be in? And then where does the bed face in your bedroom? Is it under the window? Is it towards the door? Like there's information about all of this with Vastu so that it supports a harmonious energetic flow in your home. And also, according to Ayurveda, this also would support success in your life and your finances and your relationship. And it's just, it's so interesting. I love it so much. And I try to do a little bit of that in my home. You know, when we purchase a house and we didn't build it ourselves, of course, we have no say over that. Or if you're in an apartment or you're in the city, there's not a whole lot you can do in a smaller space. Uh, but you can take a look at how you arrange your furniture and what materials your furniture is made from. Like, are, are you have more natural furniture, um, natural elements like wood and linen and jute, or do you have more um, manufactured things like plastic 
or fake synthetic materials in your carpets and, and stuff like that. So there is a lot to look at and there's a lot of different ways to look at this. And I think though, when we want our home to be our sanctuary, that's our safe space. And so having that be our motivation to have a clean home and also be that have that be part of the practice of a parigraha is really powerful and important for setting ourselves up for a life that we love. And instead of being in that constant frenzy of like, oh my God, something's missing. How do I get more? How do I have fancier or nicer things? It's like, wow, well, really, does that matter? I mean, in the scheme of things, does that matter for the joy and happiness you want in your life? And so this then kind of leans into, or leads into maybe, the practice of gratitude. And gratitude is also a specific practice in yoga and Ayurveda. Um, we talk about it in the second limb of yoga. It's called santosha, or contentment. And the way in which we feel contentment in our life is by practicing gratitude daily. So acknowledging what we already have. So whether that's physical stuff in our home, like, oh, we have a roof over our head. Oh, wow. How amazing is that? We turn the faucet and clean drinking water comes out. Like that just is miraculous to me when we consider um, both the food and water scarcity in many parts of the world. And we forget that. We take it for granted. Or one that I always remind myself of as well is um, I, I get so annoyed. I'm like, oh my God, another load of laundry. Oh my God, the dishwasher, I have to empty it again. Like every day. I'm like, God, I do this every day. Do I have to keep doing it? And, and I now, of course, am making peace with the idea of, yeah, every day, loads of laundry, dishwasher on. And it's an annoyance. At some on some level. But then I flip it around. I'm like, whoa, actually stop here, Jessica, because how lucky are you that you have a dishwasher in your home, that you have a washing machine and dryer in your home, that you can do laundry whenever you want, that you have clean dishes whenever you want. And this is a practice of gratitude, of saying thank you, to whatever you want to say thank you to, if you believe in the universal energy or God or the divine or, or just something bigger than yourself. But acknowledging that instead of the space of lack that you think you're in or that I think I'm in, actually there's already everything we need right here, right now in our life. And that's just, that's it. That's the secret to a happy life right there, having this gratitude. And so practicing gratitude daily can be uh, it can look different for everybody. So sometimes maybe it's right when you wake up, you just want to journal a little bit or write three things that you're grateful for. Or maybe it's at the end of the day, winding down your day, your evening, and just saying to yourself five things that you're grateful for that day. Or just stopping throughout the day. When you notice yourself getting in that negative headspace or that space of lack or wanting, and being like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I was really fixated on that new um, makeup brush or whatever. And be like, huh, okay, well, let's take a beat and 
have gratitude for something else in my life right now in this moment. And that's how I try to practice a lot is in the moment having that gratitude because I know for me, my mind will start to go wild. Like that monkey mind is like, you need this, you need this, you have to get this, you have to have something more, better, whatever. And it's really, um, I don't even know the right word. It's just kind of like, I get bummed sometimes because I'm like, wow, my mind is so powerful and strong and it's taking me down a path I don't want to go in my life. And then being like having compassion in that moment too of like, my God, Jessica, you're a human. Like your brain is designed to think this way and you live in a society where very smart, very rich people are convincing you that you must have this thing in order to be happy in your life. And so there's a lot working against us here just in our modern society and culture. And we have to push back by ourselves for ourselves to the messaging that we are constantly inundated with and really staying firm in our course in our own life. And yeah, when we see people around us having nicer things or fancier things and and we feel like we have to keep up. You know, in English, we have a saying called keeping up with the Joneses which means like your neighbors are the Joneses and they're the people that you see with the nicer, fancier, cooler things, best clothes, best vacations, whatever. And and we feel like it's a competition almost, like subtly and subconsciously. We're like, oh, okay, well, if they have this, then I have to have that. And maybe I'm not as good of a person or maybe I'm not as good of, not as hard of a worker. We start to craft these stories, which are totally false, around why we are not in the same position as other people. And so it's this very, very dangerous slope of comparison. And it's really not rooted in anything of substance or value. And we can take a look at, for example, like the Kardashians and very rich, very famous. They have everything they could ever want, um, speaking of like physical stuff. And yet they're still they are still searching for something and they're still pushing themselves for something more fame. I mean, how do you get more famous, more money? What being a billionaire isn't enough, like more power. I, why, why, what, what does more power get you? And I look at that and, you know, we've all heard that saying too, like being rich doesn't buy you happiness or having money doesn't buy you happiness. And it's so, so true because the more money you have, the more like problems I think do arise because then you feel this pressure to like maintain an image and there's little room for self-inquiry at that point when your entire identity is wrapped up in the fact that you're wealthy. And you become very, I think very wealthy people become, many of them, not all of them, but many of them become one-dimensional and very superficial and everything's just about the money and the stuff and the clothes and the, you know, all this external stuff. And so for us, you know, when we're striving for something and we're comparing ourselves to somebody else, it's truly only going to end in one way. And that's causing ourselves suffering. And so that means then we have to find a way to be content within ourselves and to find joy within ourselves and our private life that we craft for ourselves when nobody else is around. So whether that's for ourselves individually, like maybe some personal rituals that we do or yoga or meditation, 
But also then, of course, our family life. So when we're at home, what is our family dynamic like? What is our home environment like? Are we being very mindful about how our day-to-day routine looks? And where are we perhaps not aware where we're wasting energy? And that drive to get more is coming at the cost of something. And it's usually coming at the cost of our present peace. So in that present moment, we're living on borrowed time and we're living for future events that have not yet occurred, always grasping for more, wanting something different. And so we miss the beauty that's right in front of us in that moment. And so we're robbing ourselves of that opportunity to be at peace in that moment. And so switching our entire perspective about how we view our world and how we view our own life and prioritizing choices that are in the long run going to add up to finding this more sustainable contentment. The ability to practice gratitude more often with more frequency, with more, uh, like, what's the word? More, not intensity, but more conviction. Like that we, we believe that we have gratitude for the blessings in our life. And, you know, with gratitude, when I started my gratitude practice many years ago, oh, sweet baby Jessica, <laughs> it was very half-hearted. And I wanted to practice gratitude, but... I I was young and I was too unaware of of my own privilege. And I mean that in many senses of the word, that I was too privileged in, in my experience of life to that point meaning life hadn't yet beaten me up. <laughs> I can say now many 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 years later, you know, I've taken a few hard knocks in my life. And so now my perspective is very different on how I practice gratitude. But I remember when I first started practicing gratitude, it was always like the same few things. And I would, I would make a list every night and I just listed three things I was grateful for. And, you know, the one that always sticks with me now is like, I would always say, I'm grateful for my health because I thought that's what I was supposed to be grateful for. I was healthy. I had no health issues. And and so, but it was kind of half-hearted because I was like, well, I think I'm, I should put this because I, you know, I should be grateful I'm healthy. And, you know, I, I am, I'm kind of grateful that I'm healthy, but that's because I had no perspective on what it means to not be healthy. And so I had these very big lofty things like, I'm grateful I have a job. I'm grateful that I have friends. And those are very, those are valid. Like we don't want to discount those, but there was no conviction behind what I was choosing to be grateful about. So now when I practice my gratitude, it's very different. I don't go for the big lofty things. I mean, sometimes I do like, you know, I'm grateful every night when I tuck my son in, I, I say a little prayer of gratitude and, you know, I'm grateful, truly grateful that my son has a warm, calm, loving home, and that he gets to go to bed every night feeling safe and with a belly full of food. And so that that is one of those big things that your child is safe and loved uh, that you can feel grateful for. But for myself, when I'm practicing gratitude, it's more, it's the small things. Like, I'm grateful that I saw that funny meme that made me laugh out loud. Or I'm grateful that I made my, my morning latte perfectly and it was just absolutely delicious. 
or I'm grateful that a friend sent me a text just to say, hey, thinking of you, or I'm grateful that it was, you know, whatever day of the week my favorite show comes out and like I'd forgotten what day of the week it was and pops up on my TV, oh, you have a new episode. You're like, yay, okay, this is awesome. Like when we practice gratitude in small ways in our life, it completely changes our relationship to the big picture. So small changes have a big impact. And then this gratitude leads to this sense of general contentment in our life. Even when things are hard, even when things are bad, even when things are really crappy, we can still come back to this practice of the small gratitude. And that also allows us then to release our grip, our attachment on more, more, more. And we live in the moment and our nervous system relaxes and we become more joyful because there's not this huge overwhelming pressure to be something we're not or to achieve something for somebody else. So again, kind of circling back to what I said before, like when we feel this intense pressure to have the right job, to make the right salary, to have the right kind of home, wear the right kind of clothes, to have the right circle of friends. Ew, I hate that. Um, Everything we're doing to help us achieve those goals is for somebody else. These imaginary people who we think are judging us or who, even more, we think care. Newsflash, friends. Nobody cares what kind of clothes you wear or what kind of car you drive or how much money's in your bank account. I mean, now, of course, there, we are going to run into assholes who do care about that and only care about that. But for the most part, you know, gen, like generally people are good and they care more about a meaningful relationship or they care more about a genuine connection or conversation. And so we, we psych ourselves out by thinking that in order to to impress these people, we have to do these things. And it's really unfortunate and sad. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that trap. And so we can strive to do better. We can strive to simplify our life in every area. And this is something I do a lot in my life at home. I'm, I travel a lot for work, but then when I'm home, I'm home. And and it's great cooking dinner every night, spending time with my son and my husband, taking the dog for walks, skiing when it's snow, and being very simple and quiet in my life. And that's what I want. That's what's important to me. Um, you know, we put our son down at 7, 7.30, and then my husband and I, it's like we're getting ready for bed already. And we're, we're in bed usually no later than 9. And sometimes we'll watch TV or read a book, but usually not too late. And... I laugh sometimes because I'm like, God, our life is so quiet. And then my husband is just like, yeah, isn't it nice? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it is nice. Um, I could probably, I could handle a more social interaction than my husband. But, um, you know, overall for the stage in life that I'm in with a small child, this is right. And it brings me so much more peace than feeling like I have to impress people or I have to live a certain way or have to look a certain way even. And, you know, keeping keeping our home very minimalistic and very clean and clean physically, yes, but clean energetically and making it a place where we can feel calm and our son can feel calm after a wild day at Barnahog and, you know, quiet. Our home's very quiet and that's so nice 
when you're an overactive vata like I am, and my husband has a lot of vata too, you need time to just settle and to land and to not be constantly stimulated by the phone or music or TV or, you know, stuff happening around you. And so that's also part of a parigraha, like giving up, not not grasping for, not hoarding on things that fill your life. So maybe that's even your social engagements. Like, are you one of those people who has to be around people all the time in order to feel energized? And there's a lot of extroverts who are like that, but there's a point where it's too much and there's no room or space to be yourself and have your own life experiences. If the only way you can do that is with other people, that's still a form of looking outside yourself or grasping for the right partner and longing for the right partner and, and really fixating on how you're going to meet somebody to date or to spend your life with. And, oh, well, if I'm able to date that kind of a person, then everything in my life will fall into place. Or even friendships, grasping for friends, like certain types of friends. And why why are we friends with the people we're friends with? What's the reflection there? And what do we get from those relationships? And where perhaps do we need to edit our relationships to end friendships or end romantic partnerships that no longer are matching where we're at in our life or where we want to go in our life and allowing ourselves instead of holding on too tightly grasping, we let go and we give ourselves the grace to be uncomfortable because it is hard to let go of something we know and to step into the unknown. We have to have faith. We have to trust that whatever we're letting go of is going to be replaced by something better, whether that's actually a thing or a person or a job or or just the energy and space in our life. The sense of inner contentment and peace that we might find if we edit out and simplify our life. And this is huge. I mean, there's so many things in today's conversation where it's like, okay, got some work to do here <laughs> in our life. And I think it's okay to just take it slow and be like, huh, all right, let's start with one thing. Let's clean out the closet. Huh, all right, let's notice when we're um, leaking money and not being mindful about our expenses. And hmm, okay, let's notice when we fixate on something we want to purchase. Where is that really coming from? Usually it's coming from a place where we're feeling um, insecure or unsatisfied in another area of our life. And so it's just the quick fix. Oh, buy something, get get a quick shot of oxytocin, feel good. And then you crash, you buy the thing. And 10 minutes later, you know, there's all this anticipation going to buy, if you're going to the store and you're going to buy it and can't wait, you're making sure you have enough money or you're buying it online and you're like waiting for it to, you're tracking it online. Where is it now? When's it coming? Okay. There's this anticipation that builds up to the experience of getting the thing you want to buy. And then you get it. And literally 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) We've ridden this emotional roller coaster. And so what do we do? We start looking for the next thing to buy. The next thing that's going to fill that void that we have where we're perhaps not truly investigating um, our emotions that are leading us to certain behaviors. And so quick fix doesn't work. But we can fix that by breaking the cycle of these levels of addiction we have to external things, 
the levels of addiction we have to distraction, things that distract us from maybe emotional pain that we're feeling or um, mental unclarity that we're feeling around our life and our life path and, of course, our life's purpose. When we have these big questions, why am I here? What am I meant to do? It can feel safer to just be like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna, I think I'm just going to shop. Let's see what's on sale today. And then we end up with a house full of crap that we never use, that we don't need. And then we feel bad about that too. And so we have to take the action. Cleaning out, editing, giving away, getting rid of. And this is the path to happiness, the path to contentment. Being honest with ourselves, with where we're at and what our motivations are. All right, friends, that is today's episode, Aparigraha and the Art of Simple Living. And um, yeah, the conversation will continue when my book comes out. And this is something I feel really passionate about is how do we live our lives more simply so that we feel better, so that we're happier, so that we're lighter, so that we can enjoy what's already in front of us. That's it. That's all. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.